You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. Safe spaces, they're not spaces where everyone's opinion is equally valued. Safe spaces are spaces where there's a preferential option that's being practiced for the most vulnerable in the room. Safe spaces, they're they're spaces where the voices and experiences of the vulnerable uh, are not only believed and validated, they're also centered in the room. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 233 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish Galilean prophet of the poor uh, might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation. Our title this week is Forgiving a Sinning Brother or Sister repeatedly. That's from the Q Scholarship, and our featured text is Sayings Gospel Q 17, 3 through 4. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if seven times a day he sins against you, also seven times you shall forgive him. Let's jump right in with this week's uh, 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 use of the text in the Gospels, both Matthew's and, and Luke's. We're going to begin with Matthew's. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. And then in verse 21, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So this week's saying is, it's an in-house teaching. It's it's about how Jesus' followers were to relate to each other. Deisman, remember, he he, uh, reminds us that uh, this is from uh, page seven of his book, New Light on the New Testament from the records of the Greco-Roman period. It was printed in 1907. Um, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Deisman, he's the one that's responsible for the discovery that uh, the Greek of the New Testament was written in the form of Greek that was common. It was of the, the lower class, the, the street Greek. Um, it, was a, 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 it was a lower class movement that used that language. But he writes, by its very nature, primitive Christianity stood contrasted with the upper class, not first as Christianity, but as a movement of the proletarian lower class. And among this movement, survival was sent was a central concern to them. Um, Howard Thurman, in his book *Jesus and the Disinherited*, this is on page twenty-nine. He writes, "Christianity, as it was born in the mind of this Jewish teacher." and thinker appears as a technique of survival for the oppressed. And within this community, being divided um, from within was just as much a threat as being divided from forces that oppose the movement uh, from the outside. And and this week's saying is it's not about forgiving oppressors or enemies outside of the community. It's about how to navigate wrongs when they're committed within the community itself. There are different sayings of Jesus that relate to the subject of enemy love, but our saying this week, it focuses instead on on the community of the oppressed. If your brother or sister sins against you is what the saying states. So in the community of the early early movement, um, there were those who, who, who used to be former oppressors who had chosen now to stand in solidarity with this movement and they had they were repenting of their their former lives and they were choosing Jesus's preferential option for the poor and 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 speaking of, of kind of a, the same dynamic an example of what this ident, ident, dynamic would have looked like um, was 
uh, is Jacqueline Grant's book, White Women's Christ and, and Black Women's Jesus. On page 91, she's speaking of um, this dynamic within predominantly white feminism. She says, speaking of the internal struggle between predominantly white feminism and the struggle for liberation by women of color, from a black woman's vantage point, the language of partnership is merely a rewording of the language of reconciliation, which proves empty rhetoric unless it's preceded by liberation. So, so this week's saying, it isn't empty rhetoric. It, it values liberation before reconciliation, to use Grant's uh, terminology. And, and this we see this taking place within the early community of, of Jesus followers. So let's unpack it a, a little bit. In, in Mark's gospel, we have a Jesus who, who makes this statement. This is Mark 3.25. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And the context in Mark is that Jesus was speaking of the house of one's oppressors. But, but it's a universal truth that applies to any community, whether, that it, whether it's the oppressed or the oppressors or, or a community working for social change as well. The, last week, uh, Reverend Delman Coates of the Mount Enon Baptist Church, he illustrated once again for me how internal differences can divide communities that are engaging the world of, uh, in the work of survival, survival and resistance and liberation. Um, it, it was a reminder of, uh, to me of how necessary intersectional resistance is if we're going to make a, a significant difference, if we're going to make a lasting difference, or if we're going to make a difference at all. Um, th those outside of our communities, if we're not careful, they can divide us over our, our varied identities within a movement. And this is from, uh, this is the statement that he made. It's, it's uh, uh, from uh, the new abolitionism, monetary reform, and the future of social justice. I'll put a link to it in this week's uh, e-site. But he, he, he's, he stated, the division creates a kind of fragmented fellowship among progressives with advocates dispersed across a range of issues, income and wealth inequality, workers' rights, mass incarceration, anti-poverty, education, environmental justice, LGBT rights, anti-violence work, health care, voting rights, the list goes on. This dynamic weakens our ability to create a unified front in combating the forces that oppose social and economic justice, forces which are much more unified and better financed than we are. So we have to work uh, at not allowing our differences to divide us. And this does require some intention. Um, internal divisions, they can result from a variety of causes. They can, they can be intentional. They can be produced by carelessness, by ignorance. And, and, and I'm sure there's more, but, but, but uh, uh, an example of this is when I was first introduced to, to Christian LGBTQ communities. And I, I remember being called on the carpet multiple times by two dear friends of mine um, in particular they 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 were they were committed to the principle of, of putting liberation first, like we're talking about this week, um, and, 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 and treating it as a precursor to reconciliation or a precursor to unity. And they, and they were also committed to me. They were committed to not letting me keep my blind spots. And they weren't going to let me get away with, with my, even if it was unintentional, uh, my unintentional but still very real and damaging participation in their oppression. So at, at that time, I believed that respectability was required of gay, lesbian, and bisexual people if they were going to make any progress in the minds and hearts of straight people, especially straight Christians. And I, I offered the example of how seeing Christian LGBTQ uh, folks 
how that had contradicted every stereotype that the kind of Christianity I was raised in had peddled to me of, of, of what the LGBTQ community actually was. And this respectability, though, um, it was being defined by straight people, specifically certain Christian straight people. And, and, and my friends were quick to, to, to call me out on it. Um, the question was, were they the only folks of the LGBTQ community that were worth being, to use my friend's words, counted as human and therefore uh, get to live in a world that supports their flourishing. Um, were the only ones that were worthy of that, the Christian ones. And uh, Dr. Keisha McKenzie also writes about this, just happens to be writing about this last week as well. I'll put a link to her article. It's, it's worth reading. Um, it's short. It won't take you much time. But, but uh, uh, she really, uh, I think, brings this out as well. Um, uh, so, so, so this community, these, these, my friends called me on the carpet on this and, and helped me, me uh, see where I was mistaken on this. And they, they were part of a community that, yeah, they loved me, but they loved me too much to let me get away with, with treating them differently. It was a community of, of uh, uh, accountability, and this accountability was vital if our friendship, if our community was to be safe um, for oppressed people too. And, and we recently covered this when we discussed Jesus's preferential option for the poor. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but it's just recent. Jesus's community, it practices genuine love that doesn't allow people to get away with abuse. And it's a community that prioritizes those uh, for whom abuse would do the greatest harm. And this starkly contrasts with the Christian communities that, that I've been accustomed to, mostly. Now, I, I'm, I'm used to communities of, of grace, where there's a, a, you know, grace is given a, a high value, or mercy and no condemnation, a high value. And, and I know grace can have different meanings. And, and, and too often, though, I'm concerned that it means we don't judge people around here. We just don't judge anybody. And it produces, what that produces is an unhealthy environment where sometimes anything ends up going, anything goes, and forgiveness becomes prioritized. It's the, the, the most important value. Forgiveness is prioritized over keeping people accountable or accountability. And Christian communities like that, they're dangerous for vulnerable people. They're, they're, they're communities where there's a preferential option for the oppressors that's being practiced, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, rather than a preferential option for the vulnerable. And they use the rhetoric of love, but these communities, are they're not loving because they don't protect those who are the most vulnerable within those communities. Um, it centers the oppressors rather than the oppressed. And, and, and this is where our saying comes in this week. Luke uses it this way, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So Jesus's community here, it practices rebuke and it practices repentance. And, and it does this when community members sin against each other. And this is a community that seeks to set up healthy boundaries between what's acceptable and what is not acceptable. And, and in Mark 6, 12, it says they went out and preached that people should repent. But this is not only a community that went out and preached that others should. It's also, it was a community that, that required repentance within the community also. And, and repentance, let's talk about that for a second. Repentance is more than just saying one is sorry. It's more than just feeling bad over something you did. It's more than apologizing. 
repentance requires someone to change their mind and their behavior regarding someone or something. That's the, that's the intent, the original spirit of the word metanoia. It's to change your mind and behavior regarding someone or something. Repentance is a change in how someone thinks and about how some, in how someone acts towards someone or something. And this change in how someone thinks and acts about someone or something, it requires listening. It requires openness. Um, it requires belief. You have to believe in the other person's experience. You have to believe what they're telling you. And it requires a choice. Uh, examples of this are how white people uh, need to change in relation to, to people of color. We need to listen, to be open, to believe their experiences, validate their experiences, and make different choices, choose to change. Um, it, it applies to men changing in relation to, to women and what women's experience of life and our culture is like. Um, it can apply to straight folks who, who change in relation to LGB folks uh, or cisgender folks who change in relation to trans folks. Um, it can also, uh, an example of this can be how wealthy people uh, need to change in relation to um, listening and being open and believing the stories and experiences of, of poor people and the choices, a change in the choices that they make as a result of that. So in order to allow one's thinking to be changed, in other words, to allow this kind of repentance, you have to be willing to listen to the experiences of those whose lives are unlike your own. And you have to be open to, to believing another person's experience. So they're not just making this up. And also, you have to choose to prioritize. Here's where that choice comes in. You have to choose to prioritize that person's experience in your future choices. Today, there's a lot of talk about third-way spaces. These are communities, and I know this is oversimplified, but these are communities where people simply agree to disagree on certain things. And, and instead of, of defining community around like one of, of two opposing positions, instead of communities that take a side, these are communities that seek to maintain unity and cohesiveness without requiring any of the group to repent or to change its mind on a specific issue. And, and these types of communities are fine if we're disagreeing on the best flavor of ice cream, but, but they can be dangerous. And this is the qualifier. They can be dangerous if the disagreement is over whether another person should exist or not. In matters such as orientation or gender or, or racial or economic equality, um, repentance is, is the necessary foundation in these areas for forgiveness and for unity. Safe spaces, they're not spaces where everyone's opinion is equally valued. Safe spaces are spaces where there's a preferential option that's being practiced for the most vulnerable in the room. And safe spaces, they're, they're spaces where the voices and experiences of the vulnerable uh, are not only believed and validated, but they're also centered in the room. And as Jesus taught in Matthew 20, verse 16, there are spaces where the first shall be last and the last, those who are, are made to be last the way the world is presently structured, those are treated first. And let's talk about this one problem. The problem that I hate about this week saying that jumps out at me is this seven times thing. Um, it, listen, if someone uh, makes the, the same so-called mistake seven times in one day, that's probably indicative that repentance or a change in how someone thinks about something or someone 
that 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 change has not really happened. In Mark 16, 9, um, we get a hint of what Jesus could have been talking about in this saying. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. And, and no, it's not the same demon seven times. It's seven demons. These were seven different instances, not the same instance being repeated seven times over and over again. And as long as a person is willing to grow, they may have multiple issues that they're, they're, they're going to have to put the work into dealing with. And as long as they're willing to do the necessary work that's intrinsic to repentance, um, they can remain in the community. And I, I think of those who were, again, patient with me, who, who took note of my dedication to growing and my willingness to, to think differently and, and to do the necessary work on my own, too, in, in challenging how I thought about things. And these friends, they didn't give up on me while I was still willing and while I was still working to change. But I don't want to be misunderstood. If others don't bring to your relationship a provenient willingness and an investment in changing, it's not your job to convince them to. They have to come to this in their own way. Our job is to create communities where reconciliation is built on the preceding foundation of, of liberation and that, that communities that possess healthy boundaries of active repentance. Ignorance is inevitable. Our experiences are not all the same. I'm not going to know things that your experience has taught you, and you're not going to know things that experiences my experience specifically has taught me. So ignorance is, an, is inevitable, but division is optional. Each of us can choose repentance. And, and if repentance is genuinely present, I think forgiveness can be chosen as well. Unity at the price of silence, it's not worth it. It's not real unity either. And it's dangerous. And what I hope we're seeing this week is that in the early Jesus community, unity was not the highest value. Justice was. Liberation was. Thriving, even for the vulnerable, uh, was the highest priority. It was the highest value. In Dr. King's letter, um, from, a letter from a Birmingham jail, um, I think is a great example of this, where, where King places justice above the calls for unity and the calls for peace. Um, if you're not familiar with this letter, this was a letter that Dr. King wrote in response to several criticisms that were being made by his fellow clergymen who claimed to be allies. They claimed to be brothers, but um, they published a letter entitled A Call for Unity, and they, they were asking King to, to stop his work. And King's letter was a rebuke that called him to the kind of repentance that, that, that's, that's required by our saying this week. It was that rebuke and repentance that, that took place. And in my own faith tradition even, presently there are those within that tradition that are calling for ministerial ordination to include women. And I know it's 2017 and we're still having to debate this. And those opposed to ordaining women, um, those who think that only men should be ordained, they're, they are calling uh, every opportunity they get, they're calling for unity right now to, 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 to keep the, the tradition unified. But unity requires, remember, a change in how someone thinks about something or someone. And there can be no unity while the official position and policy expresses that women are somehow less than men. There can't be unity where injustice towards others is not challenged and rejected. There's no genuine unity 
where injustice is practiced within a community. And, and I think, too, of, of the recent interview. If you've not seen this, um, I'll put a link to it in this week's uh, eSight, too. But this is a, a, probably the best thing I've watched um, in the last six months. It's an interview bet- uh, of Angela Davis by Mike, Michelle Alexander, and it was hosted um, by the Union Seminary and Riverside Church. And in the question and answer session at the end, um, the dynamic of repentance being prioritized above unity and the relationship between wa- white allies and people of color, that's discussed there also. And again, if you haven't seen it, it's well worth your time to watch the entire in- interview. But in the question and answer session, they even bring up what we're talking about this week. So if you've not already seen it, give it a look. Uh, why it's about uh, uh, about an hour and a half long, but it's well worth your time. Like I said, it's it's probably some of, one of the best things I've watched in the last six months. But uh, choosing to think differently, it's not always easy, but I believe it is possible. We can choose to to center our communities in the experiences of the vulnerable. We can choose to forgive, and and choosing to forgive is not easy either. Both repentance and forgiveness, they take work. But it's worth it because division only ends up empowering our oppressors. Saying this week, if our brother, if our brother, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And if seven times a day they sin against you, also seven times you shall forgive them. Heart group application number one this week. Those of you who feel comfortable sharing with your group, share share a time when when you found it deeply challenging to listen to another person's experience. But you overcame that challenge, you chose to listen anyway, and how did it end up changing the way you thought about something? Share that experience with the group. And then number two, share with the group a time when when someone who hurt you chose to change themselves and how that change impacted your ability to forgive them and share the results of that forgive what came after that forgiveness also. And then commit as a group. Number three, commit as a group to, to setting up some of those healthy boundaries where we hold each other accountable, where we talk about things, where where uh, uh, you can become a group that creates a safe space for the vulnerable that are among, among you. You practice Jesus's preferential option for the vulnerable and, and be willing as a group to change. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are, keep living in love, love that holds people accountable in our work of survival, resistance, liberation on our path towards thriving. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.